Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Victory Prayer Circle with We Who Dwell. I am your host, and I'm super excited about tonight. My name is Natasha T. Brown, and this is the Victory Prayer Circle with We Who Dwell. Let me just share a little bit about the Victory Prayer Circle. Then we're going to start off with prayer, and then I'm going to introduce our guest teacher on tonight. So the Victory Prayer Circle with We Who Dwell is a prayer meeting. We have started this meeting, or we've been doing this meeting for about five years. We changed the name once or twice, but we've been here on Thursday nights for five years, just praising God, worshiping the Lord, uh, just praying for one another, interceding for our families, our communities, our nations. And so uh, the Lord has called us to go deep this summer into the book of Acts. So this summer we're doing something much different than we normally do. We are doing a Bible study on Thursday night. So I want to, one, let you know that we still want to pray for you. So if you have a prayer need or request and you want us to partner in faith with you, you can go ahead and post it in the comments or you can email us. Even if you're listening to the replay and podcast, you can still email us at wehodwell at gmail.com and we will pray for you tonight and throughout the week. So again, um, We Who Dwell, we are a faith community with a mission to empower disciples of Christ to dwell in the Lord's presence through the word, worship, and prayer. And so this is something we do on Thursdays. And so let's just go to God right now and pray and kick us off. So Heavenly Father, God, I just Thank you, Lord, for tonight. I thank you, God, for what you're doing. God, we just praise you. We give you glory. We give you honor. Lord, we just let it be known, God, that you are the head of our lives, the Lord of our lives, the Lord of everything that we do, God, and we just surrender to you right now. Father, we've already covered this broadcast and covered the speakers and the lesson on tonight, God, but we want to plead the blood of Jesus over everyone who is listening. Father, we pray that you would have your way in their hearts, in their homes, and God, allow your word to be a rhema word for this night, oh God. We pray, God, that you would just have your way, oh God. I pray, Father Lord, that you would be the perfect peace, God. Your word says it in Isaiah 26, 3, that you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds stay on you and are steadfast because they trust in you. So, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, God, we speak perfect peace over every person who will listen now and later, God. We speak perfect peace over their, their lives, over their health, over their bodies, over their families, over their minds. God, we speak perfect peace, oh God. Father, I bless the speaker tonight. We lift up Arrington Smith, oh God, Minister Arrington Smith, God, Chaplain Arrington Smith, and we ask that you would bless him, oh God, that you would speak through him, oh God. We know that he has been preparing for this night, oh God, and so we ask, Lord, that you would have your way through him, oh God, and we thank you, Lord, for all that you have done and are doing and that you will do tonight through this Bible study, God. Allow us to understand your word and know how to apply it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. So there's something that I want to share before I introduce our speaker again. Um, the Lord last night, he had me, and this will be really quick. This is different. I just feel like I need to share this right now. So last night, the Lord had me reading, guys, John chapter 14. And in verse 2, it really, really stuck out to me. But it starts off with saying, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place 
place for you. I think that might be verse two, verse one or two. But what stuck, stood out to me, and I'm sharing this for a reason, is that he said, if it were not so, I would, I would have, I would not have told you. So I wouldn't have said this if it wasn't true. And it stuck out to me because it, it made me think about how many times we hear the word or we even read the word, but we read it as if it's like, oh, cool. Like, oh, this is, this is cool. God did this. Oh, God said this. But it's like, do we really believe the word? Do we really stand on the word? Do we really believe that God, Jesus wouldn't tell us anything? And we know that the word is Jesus because John tells us that the gospel of John, but Jesus wouldn't tell us anything if it wasn't true. So tonight, as we go through Bible study, and even as you go through your own personal lessons, you know, throughout the week and, and just in the future, just remember, God, Jesus's word, if it was not so, I wouldn't have told you. And so Jesus is speaking to us through his word, and we can take every word in the scripture as if it was true, because it is true. It's the word of God. So let's not, not, let's not approach Bible study lightheartedly. Let's not even approach the word lightheartedly. Let's just realize that this is the word of God and it's the word of God for every generation. It can never get outdated. It would always work no matter what's going on. We can always work that word and know that the word of God is true, that God cannot tell a lie, that Jesus walked a perfect sinless life. That means that he never told a lie to his disciples and today he still does not lie the only reason why jesus was able to give us the new life in christ it wasn't just guys because he died on the cross it was also because of the way he lived he lived righteously he lived perfectly and that means that he never told a lie so i just wanted to share that with you because the lord really really spoke to my heart last night and maybe i'll unpack it again in a future um broadcast or something but i just wanted to share that that god God isn't lying to us. Jesus isn't lying through the word. So I see my friend, Arrington Smith, Chaplain, Arrington, Chaplain Smith, I should probably call you. Um, Arrington is my good friend from seminary, and he's just such an amazing uh, man of God. And I just remember the first day I met him, we had a spiritual development class together, and um, yeah. it was probably our favorite class, and he was just yeah. so on fire for God. Just that that first day, my first day of seminary, I met Arrington. We were in the same class and he was just on fire for God then and he's still on fire for God. We've been talking throughout the day and even as he's been preparing for um, the lesson. So I'm excited to hear from you, Arrington. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, um, do, when, do, when you want us to start? Yeah, let's <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> First of all, I do want to say, hey, thank you, Natasha. And uh, like like she said, we connected in seminary. And uh, funny story, I tell this story every time we, we do anything together. But when I was in seminary, y'all got to understand, this is Regent University. And uh, I love I love Regent University. It was a life-changing experience. But um, I was a little young, a little naive. And in that class that she mentioned, I had a really crazy take. And that take and that, um, that comment, uh, which I won't expound on, it'll take too long. It got me in a lot of trouble. And uh, seminary is sometimes a place where a conversation can, can turn to an argument. And the only person that had my back was Natasha. 
And so I said, since that day, I'll have Natasha's back because she had my back. And so uh, thank you for your support and your consistent uh, support uh, through the years. And uh, I'm, I'm excited. Let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, can we can we uh, pray? Can I yeah, pray? Take it away. God, I thank you. Uh, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. Everything you're doing, everything uh, you will do. And we just ask for your peace, your presence. And most importantly, we just ask for you to be in our lives and move on this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Side note, I want to give a shout out. My fiance is in this chat, uh, Gabby O'Neill. Um, I just want to just do a quick shout out to her. And so, uh, but let's get into it. Uh, you know what? I have been assigned um, chapter 17 and 18. And uh, there's so much so much meat in this in these two chapters and i kind of wrestled with which way i want to go um but 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 i think i want to speak on evangelism for today evangelism for today um obviously we've been going through the book of acts and the book of acts is simply about the acts of the holy spirit and the acts of god's people during that day and for context, for anyone who, who's wondering, um, this is this is a book written about the early church. And you got to keep in mind, during that time, the early church did not look like the church we have today. Instead, uh, Christianity was kind of a sect or a, uh, a sect of Judaism. It was a group of people that re referenced themselves as the way. And as they were usually accustomed to gathering in synagogues, in houses, because of persecution, they were scattered. And so they went from being in houses, being in synagogues, and being in places gathering, and so now they're just scattered. And as they scattered, evangelism scattered, and Christianity was to grow. And a lot like the early church in the book of Acts, we too, as the American church, we are scattered. We're no longer able to really come together um, and, and unite. <laughs> We're no longer able to really uh, come to our synagogues, come to our houses the way we once did. But yet I believe the evangelism cannot stop. In fact, I think even though we're social distancing, I think because everyone's ear wants to know answers this is the best time the best time and, and and i didn't know if i was going to read the whole passage but i think i am but i'm going to try to paint a picture and then eventually break everything down so that we can understand it and so acts chapter 17 uh now when they had traveled through amphibolis and apollonia they came to thessalonica where they were as, excuse me, they were at a synagogue and according to Paul's custom, in, in other words, it was his, uh, his tradition, it's what he did regularly, it was his custom, he went to them for three Sabbaths and he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus who I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large group of number of God-fearing Greeks and number of leading women. But the Jews, becoming jealous, taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, they formed a mob and set the city 
in an uproar and attacking the house of Jason. Jason was just the person that Paul was living with. And so because they couldn't get to Paul, they attacked Jason because Paul was staying at Jason's house. Uh, they attacked the house of Jason and they were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some of the brethren uh, before the city authorities, shouting, these men have upset the world. Come here also, and Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to, to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. They stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. And when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. Verse 10. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness. Please catch that. Examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and among with a number of prominent Greek men, women and men, but when the Jews of Thessalonica found out the word of God was being proclaimed, they came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Notice how every time they preach, there's a group of people pushing back. That's two times already. Verse 14, then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained there. Now those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible. Verse 16, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him. As he was observing the city full of idols, he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, excuse me, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities. Because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection, they took him and brought him to, to the Aphropagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is, which you are proclaiming for you are pre bringing some strange things to our ears so we want to know what these things mean now all the athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling on telling or hearing something new so paul stood up in the midst and said men of athens i observe that you are very religious in our respects for while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined their appointed times and their habitation that they would seek god if perhaps they might grope for him and find him through who he is verse 28 for in him we live and move and exist 
And even some of your poets have said, for we also are his children. Being that the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thoughts of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. I'm going to skip down to chapter 18 and read the first few verses. Um, After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. He found Jews, a woman named Aquila and a native of Pontus, having recently come to Italy because Claudius had recommended all of the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he he was of the same trade, he stayed with them. And they were working for by trade, they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in the synagogues every Sabbath, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the work, solemnly testifying to the Jews and to uh, testifying to the Jews that Jesus Christ, that Jesus was the Christ, excuse me. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, your blood is now on your own heads. I am clean. Uh, Really to break that down, uh, in verse 17, verses 1 through 9, Paul ministers to Jews at a synagogue. Paul ministers to people from his own uh, custom. Jewish individuals who seem to be religious, knowing God by name, but not necessarily having a relationship with God. And then in verses 10 through 15, Paul ministers in a city called Berea, a city with ample water supply, which would have allowed their crop to be plentiful. Understand, Berea could have been a very wealthy city during that time. And the individuals whom Paul was preaching to, the Bible describes them as noble-minded, and they were able to examine the scriptures and think critically of what Paul was teaching. The the type of individuals he was preaching to are similar to a white-collared male that we have here in America. And then in verses 16 through 21, Paul then turns around and preaches to the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers. Paul was in Athens teaching at Mars Hill among the great minds of their day. That was a big deal because people like Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, they all came and taught in that area. Again, he was speaking to Epicureans, and Epicureans believed that pleasure was the chief good in life. And I believe it was the Stoics, and they believed that God was real, but he did not necessarily get involved in human life. And then when we fast forward to chapter 18, Paul goes to a city called Corinth. And Corinth was known for everything that had to do with immorality. The city of Corinth had the temple of Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love. And at that temple, there would be tons of prostitutes that lived and worked at the temple. Uh, Corinth was like a modern day uh, Las Vegas, if you will. And and Corinth was just a, a, a very polluted with sin area. In fact, they were known for really corrupting and, um, and, and, making, and making, I guess, their visitors just kind of polluted. They had a term called to Corinthianize, and it was just to describe how the city and how, how the city would have an effect on their visitors. Also, to keep in mind, Corinth was known 
for both their land and sea trades. It was an extremely prosperous blue-collared city, unlike the city he was previously at. And Paul preached at the synagogues, now being a bivocational blue-collared tent maker. Now, now the point of, point of all this breaking down was to say, notice the versatility of Paul and how he can empathize, connect, and minister to people from all different types of backgrounds and cultures. Maybe this is why Paul was able to say, I have become all things to all people. Because just in 17 and 18, we see him preaching to people of his own custom, preaching to people who believe like him, who look like him, who have a similar culture to him. And then he also is preaching and connecting and ministering to people who have a white collared background, people who are able to uh, think critically of things and, and, and think critically of the scriptures. And they were described as noble minded people. And then he turns around, goes to Athens. He teaches at Mars Hill. It, he, he teaches what would be known, I guess, similar to like the Harvard of our day where all the great minds taught, where all the, the, the smart people would begin to teach on things. And he goes there and he does his thing there. And then he goes to Corinth, a blue collar city. He works as a tent maker and continues to do his, uh, his thing there. I am just blown, my mind is blown by how Paul was able to connect with all different types of people. And the reason why I bring that up is because as Christians, sometimes we can get so caught up in our own language, speaking Christianese, and we fail at, at learning the art of connecting with people who are not like us, who don't think like us, and who do not believe like us. But Paul did not have that issue. And I think in a day where Christianity is not America's number one choice, we need to learn how to connect from people from all different types of walks. If we are going to have effective evangelism today, we must be able to empathize and care for everyone. I think we must uh, learn how to educate ourselves and learn how to connect and teach, and, and teach to be able to teach blacks, whites, Hispanics, gays, straight. I think it's even necessary to learn how to connect with the people in the rich communities and the people in the poor communities, uh, to people in the Muslim faith, uh, to people in the, 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 to the people who are not even in America. It's, it's time to learn how to be like, as Paul said, become all things to all people. Uh, the elephant in the country is how bad Christianity is being misrepresented. I mean, you just turn on the news. Everything is done in the name of Christianity. Uh, we have a president who would, who would, who would say a, a whole bunch of things that are obviously against God, but then make a photo op and go to some nearby church and hold up a Bible as if to say that's what he represents. Friends and family. Because of the sins done in the name of Christianity, we have a generation that will be anything but Christian, anything but Christian. I have peers my age who would tell me, Aaronson, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, religious, but I'm spiritual. I'm not Christian. I'm not a Christian. I don't go to church, 
but I, but I, but I'm spiritual. That people connect with God through the sun, through the moon, through, uh, through, through working out. Believe it or not, I, I just had a friend who told me about that. And we are losing now black men to the black Hebrew Israelite movement the same way we lost black men to the nation of Islam in the 60s and 70s. My question is, how do we effectively evangelize and properly represent Jesus in this modern day quarantined society? How do we do it? And there's a reason why I read the entire um, 17 and part of 18. Because I think Paul does things, and there are some outcomes of what Paul did that could help us answer this question. And so the question is, how do we effectively evangelize and properly represent who Jesus is? I think the first thing, I, I know I read a lot, but I want us to really, if you, if you have a pen and a paper, uh, if, if you don't read anything, if you don't go back and read anything, please go back and read. Um, chapter 17, verses 22, verses 22 through 34, verses 22 through 34. And I think the first thing we learn about evangelizing in our day is education, education, education. Because in verse 22, the Bible says that Paul stood in the midst of Aeropagus, or, or Mars Hill or Aris Hill, it depends on what translation you have. And that was just a place for great minds. No one could really get there and teach unless you were invited. Paul must have known what he was talking about. <laughs> In fact, commentarians, commentaries suggest that this is just an outline of what he preached about. Because most of the sermons or the teachings or the conversations that were being led at this particular place, they lasted about three hours. This is obviously not three hours of content. And so this is just an outline of how he evangelized uh, the people at this location. And so I think the first thing we have to tell ourselves is to, is to we need to be educated. <laughs> now, now I'm, I think there's a difference between education and schooling. Let's not get that mixed up. I'm advocating for Christians to be educated, not to necessarily be schooled. Now, I'm in, I love seminary. I went. In fact, I want to go back. Um, but, but, but there's a difference between being educated and just being schooled. Education helps you apply what you're learning into your life. Education, uh, it helps you actually apply what you're learning to help society. It, it not only um, teaches you uh, or, or helps you, but it helps you just become a better individual holistically. Schooling is just when you're going to school, you're learning the content, and you're getting the great understanding of Christianity. I think that's something, there's something to be said about that. They had no conscience. They had no understanding of who Jesus was. But Paul was able to connect to them. So education, just knowing what you're talking about. Not only that, but how he presented the gospel. I think sometimes in our faith tradition, we try to clean the fish before we catch them. When we evangelize, we want to uh, preach doom and gloom. And Paul didn't do that. When we see in verse 24 and 26, he didn't start with judgment, but he started with God 
and who God was and God being sovereign and God being creator. And then he mentions creation being made in the image of God. He reminds them that they're made in the Imago day in verse 26. And then eventually he leads into repentance, judgment in Christ in verse 30 through 32. Friends and family, when we go to evangelize our neighbors and our friends, let's not create arguments, but let's create conversations. Arguments make people projects, but conversation allows those individuals to be human. That's what we need to do. When we are presenting the gospel, let's try to have conversation and let's not try to make the other person feel down and dumb for not knowing what you know. Let's not go straight for the kill, but let's catch the fish and then ask God to clean them. That's what Paul did. The third thing that Paul does is contextualization. What is that? He connects before he created conflict. An example of that, there are many, but in verse 28, he connects with them by quoting one of their own poets. He says, for in him, we live and move and have our being. That was a quote, quote unquote, a secular quote from one of their poets of that day. It would be similar to me having a conversation with someone who's never heard of Jesus in me using a little, a little Wayne reference line. He somehow used that line and twisted it to preach the gospel. That's contextualization. That is brilliant by Paul. Another example in this passage is verse 23. He says, for while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So he, He's, he's having conversation. He notices one of their statues or, or something that they would worship. And he says that there's this writing. He says, it says to an unknown God. Understand the people of Athens believed in supernatural powers, but they obviously didn't believe that the God or the gods they were worshiping could be known. Paul then has an opportunity to introduce them to the almighty God, the creator of all, who's in the business of his creation knowing him. He connected and then offered a better way. Context utilization is basically connecting before you create the big conflict. But guess what? You can't leave the conflict away. It, it has to be. You can't have contextualization and not have conflict. The whole point is, is we, we got to know how to talk to different people. And my mom used to say it all the time. She said, you can say anything to anyone if you know how to say it. She would say, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. It's contextualization. And I think we all know this. The way you talk to a 90 year old is different than the way you preach or talk to a 15 year old. We adjust our methods based on the audience we're speaking with. Now I'm not saying you change your principles. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you just change your methods based on the different people you are reaching and talking to. 
My mother, she raised me and my older sister differently, but her principles didn't change. But how she gave us those principles changed. She would connect with us in different ways and bring the conflict. That, that, that is contextualization. In contextualization, you gotta have the conflict. Sometimes we sacrifice conflict in effort to connect. The fourth thing that we have to do is bring confrontation. Because when we sacrifice our conflict in effort to connect, that is not contextualization, that is compromising. Notice every time Paul preached in chapter 17 and 18, we see people join the faith, but we also see people pushing back and being offended. Please, if you have time, go study it for yourself. Every single time he brings the word of God, people are saved, but people are also offended in wanting to take him out for the truth that he was preaching. Brothers and sisters, if you don't hear anything from me, hear this. There is a time for conflict. And the gospel is offensive. And if we find a way to preach the gospel without offending others, oh, my friend, we have done something that not even Jesus could do himself. We, we cannot sacrifice conflict in our attempt to connect. That's why I use contextualization, because contextualization has both. You connect and you bring conflict. So we can just <laughs> go back over how we can uh, present the gospel, educate ourselves, have a method in preaching the gospel. Don't start with judgment. Start with God, his goodness, him being creator. Start with uh, the people you're speaking with actually being made in the image of God. And then you can later get to the hard stuff. Also, contextualization. Connect before you create conflict. And the most important thing is allow yourself to say the hard things. We live in a society where, or a church world where I feel like we've avoided the conflict. When we see Paul ministering and evangelizing, he never, he never strays away from the conflict but he uses the word repent. I think the good news is beautiful. The good news is the word called the gospel. That's, that, 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 that's what the gospel means. It just means good news. But the good news is good news because of the bad news. And the bad news is we're dead in our sin. The bad news is <laughs> if you can't look around this world and see, but it's we're similar to, we're like a group of people on a plane and the plane is going down. But guess what? The good news says that God knew that the plane was going down and he gave you a parachute. Now keep in mind, that parachute isn't, I can't promise you that parachute is gonna make your ride on the plane comfortable. It's not, in fact, it's not gonna be comfortable. If you're, on, if you're on this plane and you have a parachute, it's not going to be comfortable. 
But when everything falls, you'll be saved. Jesus is that parachute. He's the only way to have eternal life. And I use that example because we're, we're, we're in a tough time right now. And the time or the days of this gospel that has no conflict, the days of prosperity gospel where God, all he wants for you is to be blessed. And when everything, he wants everything to be perfect, that does not make sense during this time. What does make sense is the fact that we have a suffering servant. And as we suffer, we have a God that can relate to us and suffer with us. What does make sense is the fact that the early church, they were met with pushback. They were faced with pushback, suffering time and time after again. But in the midst of that suffering, they were A, fruitful, and they were B, at peace, because they were able to relate to their creator who was suffering also. Listen, if you've never heard about this, this Jesus, I'm here to tell you that there is definitely a parachute. And while this world is going down on a plane, <laughs> you can have a parachute that may not make this life more comfortable, but he will make sure you make it to your next life. I'm all done. I'm all done. I'm all done. Friends and family, if you don't get anything, please remember that during this suffering and hard time, we have a God who can relate to us, who is present with us, and who suffers with us. And if you are or if you happen to be suffering alone, just call on the name of Jesus. Ask for repentance. Ask for forgiveness. And ask for him to come into your life. And he'll make a difference. Again, I'm not guaranteeing you that to wear that backpack, to wear that parachute will make this life comfortable. But I can guarantee you that that parachute would give you peace in the midst of the uncomfort. I'm all done. Amen. So if you just don't know the Lord Jesus Christ right now and you want to know him, if you want to uh, just accept him in your heart and really just have a renewed life, a, a change of heart, a change of life, all you have to do is just say, Lord Jesus Christ, I believe in you. Lord, I ask that you would just come into my heart and be my personal Lord and Savior and forgive me of my sins and give me your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And I just promise you, no matter where you are, if you say that prayer, the Lord is going to hear you. He's heard you. And we just welcome we welcome you into the family and just praise God for you. And um, I just also want to just uh, pray. I want to ask Arrington to pray just uh 
close out the message in, in a prayer, Arrington. And, and I don't know, maybe there's somebody who even has been praying to receive certain spiritual gifts. And so maybe um, this will be your, your, your time to pray for that as well. And just have faith because the Lord wants to give you those gifts that he released. And so we're just thankful for this lesson. So I'm going to just invite Arrington back on. Okay. One moment. <laughs> I think you should be able to um, unmute yourself now. God, I thank you. I think that's your word says in 1 Corinthians 14, to earnestly pursue love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. And God, whichever builds up your saints during this time, which we need it, God, I ask that you would let those spiritual gifts flow. Those spiritual gifts are not to exalt man or to make us look, make us look holy, but to encourage and edify our brothers and sisters. God, we just ask for people to have the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy, encouragement, words of edification words of knowledge, words of words of wisdom. God, we ask for you to do what only you can do, God. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you so much, Arrington. Uh, I, just, I just pray you all have been blessed tonight. Let's see, we have some time. And so I wanna just see if there's any Hold on. Hold on. I want to see if there's anybody who has questions or comments. Uh, you can unmute yourself if you want to share. If you have a comment, um, you can unmute yourself now. Or if you have a question for Arrington or just even um, a verse that you want to share that you want to point out, you can definitely uh, unmute yourself now. And if there's anyone online, if you have a prayer need or a comment. So Arrington, um, I'll just ask this question. I'm not sure if anyone else would like to share tonight, but was there anything, um, I, I just loved your lesson. You, you pointed out something so key to, um, for us today. You know, how are we gonna share the gospel? and that we needed to uh, educate ourselves, contextualize the message. We can't avoid conflict and we have to change our methods based on um, who we're talking to, basically. We shouldn't change our message, but we can change our method, right? And so as you were reading and studying, you know, was there anything um, that you, you felt like was a direct correlation, I guess, to what we, were, we are experiencing experiencing today that you just want to reiterate for anybody who came on late um yeah I, I think i think paul's preaching to the stoic philosophers um is a big thing and i, and I mentioned it earlier i think we are losing and I'm, I'm only mentioning this because my ministry is catered to black men um like i said i work at a federal prison that's sadly filled with a bunch of black men. And not only in the prison, but outside of the prison, I've noticed that we are losing black men to a group called the Black Hebrew Israelite 
the same way we lost black men to the nation of Islam in the 60s and 70s. And, and, and I'm not really putting the black Hebrew Israelites or the nation of Islam on the same level as uh, these stoic philosophers. However, the overall principle and, and the belief system of the stoic philosophers does seem a bit similar. The Epicureans believed that pleasure was the chief good in life, meaning they were they were hedonists, really. Uh, whatever brings me well-being, whatever brings me joy, whatever brings me happiness, whatever makes me feel good. It goes back <laughs> to Jada Smith. I just want to feel good. That, that, that's what the Epicureans believed. Then the Stoics, they believed that God was real, but he didn't get involved in our human life. Shoot, I, I think that's easy to believe during this time where everything is falling down in America. I mean, I mean, everything, even, even our, even our presidential race, things are just not going to be the same, you know, and, and, and it's easy for someone to believe that God is real, but he can't be involved in this life. There's no way. There's too much bad stuff going on. I think this is just a time where people are willing to believe in anything but Jesus. And I think we have to, um, I think we just systematically have to have a way to be able to connect with those who believe that pleasure is the whole point of life. <laughs> and we have to find a way to connect with those who believe there might be a God, but he ain't got nothing to do with us in this life. We have to, we, we have to be able to answer the hard questions, I think is what I'm getting to. And so that is something that, to answer your question, that, that example, Paul specifically speaking to the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers, that is something that um, reminds me of, I guess, today and what's going on now. Yeah, and that's so key. And I feel like as you were reading, I mean, not reading, but just now as you were speaking, it made me just realize like humans, it's human nature, you know what I mean? Because right now it's like people, honestly, a lot of people are too smart for Jesus, you know what I mean? Like we have humanism and people who um, they feel like, you know, they're too smart for Jesus. And so it's like, just like back then, we're dealing with a lot of the same things today. Human nature is human nature um, many thousands of years ago. And even today, it, it hasn't changed that much except for, you know, we've developed as a society in terms of, you know, technology and development and all of that construction, our knowledge, our science, right? But our thinking and our behavior as humans it hasn't changed, especially as humans relate to God. So I think um, that was really key. Were you about to say something else? Mm -mm. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. And Takita, um, I think that's Takita. TK, she's saying we have to defend our faith. That is so true. And I think we have some comments from on Facebook, too. Yeah, Alice is, is kind of reiterating some of your points. There is a time for conflict, and we have to change our methods, but not our message to fit situations. And so I just want to challenge everyone to begin to pray about who you are assigned to. Begin to pray about who you are assigned to. Arrington um, talked about his assignment. So he's a chaplain at a federal prison and mostly he's ministering mostly to black men. So now he knows much more about, you know, what is taking black men away from Christianity 
um, what, you know, what are some of the big influences taking black men away from Christianity? And so I think it's really important for us to know who we are assigned to. Some people we may be assigned to the students, if you're a teacher at your school or the other teachers at your school. Um, some people, the assignment may, may be family. Um, some people, the assignment may be your neighborhood or perhaps you, you are um, involved in ministry. We're all involved in ministry, but it's just different stomping grounds, right? It's just different ministering in different places. But if we're believers, we have to know that the Lord has commissioned all of us given all of us the great commission to make disciples of all nation, teaching them everything that he's taught us and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we all have that ministry of, of, of sharing the gospel. And we also all have the ministry of reconciling other people to Christ. And so we really mm -hmm. have to pray about who, our, um, who we're assigned to and then study. Like we can study and show ourselves the proof, study the word, but also study the culture, uh, study who we're ministering to study what are the big influences and so I think that is um, a really big challenge but it's so important if we talk about how to apply this lesson today so does anyone else have anything that they wanted to share anybody no <laughs> okay so I want to apologize for our interruption. I made a mistake earlier and I put our meeting link on Twitter. Don't ever do that, okay? <laughs> Don't ever put a Zoom meeting link on Twitter or you'll get bombarded with uh, people who want to ruin your meeting. But good thing is I, I used it as a way to um, evangelize. I will say I, I turned on the uh the waiting room and then as people were coming into the waiting room to spam us i was sending them a prayer of salvation <laughs> so hopefully some of them prayed that prayer of salvation felicia says i believe this was an awesome message i have been wanting to find a way to evangelize to reach others and god has made a way beginning with the youth although i asked for women in adolescent females so felicia do you want to um unmute yourself and share more because even before we started the meeting felicia was telling me about something that she has going on do you want to share more about that and uh, how do you know now that god has changed you from your original uh mission evangelizing to women and also um and now you're you have a way to share with youth so I don't know if you're able to unmute, but how did that change occur? And, and what, how are you evangelizing to them? Actually, we haven't started, haven't started yet, but we start on August the 6th, okay. um, which is Thursdays. So I have a, I'll call her my spiritual mom. Mm -hmm. So I have been telling her um, like what, what, what's in my heart, like what I want to do, what I have a desire to do. So, um, she asked me, she was like, I'm getting ready to start this ministry with the Christian book club with the youth. Would you like to be a part of it? So I told her yes. So then I started thinking, I was like, okay, God, I think this is probably the beginning, like where you want me to start at now. And then when the next season comes in, he'll move me on to something else. So I just look at it as being a blessing and knowing that I will be able to help the youth. Yeah, that's awesome. Congratulations. That's awesome. When God opens a door like that, um, that you have to just 
to, to pour into their lives. So you never know. The funny thing about evangelism, guys, really, so we think about evangelism as like people getting saved, but evangelism is really proclaiming the gospel. It's sharing the good news. And you can also share the good news to people who have confessed Christ because there are a lot of um, believers who don't know, who don't know Jesus like really, like who don't read the Bible. There are a lot of believers who say they are Christians or say they are believers, but they don't believe, they don't have faith. And so really, even as we think about evangelism, it's not always about the conversion, even though that, that's very important, but it's really about sharing the word, sharing Christ, sharing the good news. And so some people, they've, they've been in church all their lives, but they don't really even know the good news. So um yeah is there anyone else who wanted to share anything no okay so i want to thank Arrington smith so much for being here Arrington, can you share how people can get in contact with you or if you even if you have anything that coming up anything that you want to um just share with the audience and with the listeners later um yeah, so I'm not I'm not big on social media. I mean, I have an Instagram. I do not have a Twitter because of because of the reasons we experienced earlier today. Uh, but you can follow me on Instagram at Ari A A R Y underscore Smith. I'll put it down in the chat. Mm -hmm. um, Ari underscore, underscore Smith. Smith. That's my IG page. Um, I do have a podcast. I need to start uploading on that more often. Um, but I just haven't. And so uh, give me grace and, and uh, I'm planning a wedding right now. So uh, won't be, won't be too active on online, but uh, I do have a lot of ideas, a lot of desires to do things online. So follow me on Instagram and I'll keep you updated. So thank you guys. Well, God bless. So thank you for joining us for another edition of the Victory Prayer Circle with We Who Dwell. I am so excited about the rest of our Acts Bible Study series. I hope that you enjoyed this edition. Until then, guys, make sure you're reading your Bibles. Our uh, next study is going to be on Acts chapters 19 and 20. Visit wehodwell.org for all the information on how to actually join us live on Thursday nights. And until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you shine his face upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace. God bless you, and see you soon.